Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow patriots and American taxpayers, forgotten, scorned, ordinary, plain Americans that are looking for an independent conservative voice. Well, you found it here at the Conservative Review podcast. This is Daniel Horowitz back here late Thursday, February 6th. And it really feels like a Friday. I am exhausted. I am battle weary, as many of you who follow me on Twitter can see. But nonetheless, we are operating on all cylinders. What does it mean to be an independent conservative? Well, I think by the time today's show is finished, you will understand that dictionary definition, and you won't need a dictionary to to find that definition. I just wish there were others like this program, but we're going to utilize this platform as long as we have it, and that's why I need you guys to go to iTunes, subscribe to the show, drop us a five-star comment so uh, we can get around the shadow banning that some of these Silicon Valley companies uh, promote against conservatives, but we do what we can do here. Now, before I start off with everything today, I just want to give you a piece of good news, okay? So I can't be accused of overshadowing or overlooking good news. I just do want to say that DHS announced they are shutting off New York from the privileged priority traveler program where basically, you know, you could go to uh, customs, well, not customs, but um, security at an airport and you could become a priority traveler and basically circumvent all of that if you have the proper identification. Well, if you have a third world country style driver's license that doesn't follow our standards, we can't use that. So finally, 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 DHS is fighting back against sanctuaries, and I think this was a good move. I think the things that I have uh, laid out are better to cut off funding to them, to obviously go ahead and indict a lot of their sanctuary leaders on 1324 violations. Some other points I made yesterday in my article, but look, I'll take this. This is good progress, and this is another example of how there are some good people in the administration. There are some areas where we're making progress. And it's a glimpse into the amount of progress that we can make if we had a movement focused on policy, on civilization outcomes, on what we can do with this really once-in-a-lifetime opportunity with someone as unique as Trump in office as president. Now, that's the good news. You look in totality of what is going on, and it's truly unbelievable. It's a very busy news cycle for the things that obviously you're hearing about and for the things that you're not hearing about that I cover, crime stories, illegal immigration stories, um, primaries. This is a time where you have the convergence of so many important issues that are creating so many opportunities, so many crossroads for America, for which we need principled, smart, consistent leadership and a steady hand to utilize some of the opportunities that we're getting rather than being distracted or worse, serving as a defeat mechanism for the left all the while claiming to be battling the left. You obviously have the Democrat primaries where they're 
in the process of of nominating radical nutcases. They're in disarray. You have impeachment finally over with and the opportunity to finally focus on substantive issues that matter to our country, but will also help holy Republicans get elected. Because again, I'm told the most important thing is for Republicans to get elected. Okay, well, let's let's get elected. We have the commencement of GOP Republican congressional and gubernatorial primaries throughout the country. Early voting beginning this month in places like... uh, North Carolina and Texas, Alabama, primaries March 3rd, moving on very rapidly to all 50 states. And yet in each instance, I cannot see anywhere within Congress, within the administration, and in the so-called outside conservative movement, conservative media, where you have a consistent, effective vision or even focus on any of these issues, directing the president and other Republicans to make the right choices. That is what an independent conservative is, and that's what we're going to do here. Let me start off by talking about Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney is in the news lately. And you know what's funny about conservative media? So they have a penchant for focusing on the least consequential issues of the least importance that they have the least influence over at the expense of the most important issues for which they have amazing influence over if they actually wielded it. Yet even when they focus on important issues or talking points or thought processes, they stumble across them accidentally because of certain things that happen in the news, they also use that as a talking point. It's not an outcome. They don't say, okay, what could we do to rectify that? What could we do now? It's just a talking point. It was cute. It was downright adorable watching all my colleagues yesterday in this business talking about Mitt Romney. Oh my gosh, look at this betrayal, this Judas, this guy. He should be run out of the Republican Party. I should move to Utah to defeat him. What the heck? You know, Romney obviously voted for uh, impeachment to convict, convict Trump, thereby also giving cover to the more vulnerable Democrats. Everyone's very outraged. And, you know, I was, it was kind of a good day for someone like me because I was happy. Wow, finally, there's some focus on the rhino problem that, hey, you know, we, we have a major rhino problem in states that Republicans uh, have strong control over and we could easily win with a conservative. We, we win with losers. But even then, it's a defeat mechanism. What's lost on these fools is that there was a primary. There was an opportunity to get someone better. And Trump endorsed Romney. And what's lost on them is not, is not just that this was spilt milk in the past, but in the here and now, right here, right now, we're hours, days away from early voting in the first important primaries, where you could ensure that we don't rectify, that we rectify the Mitt Romney problems, and that we don't nominate new loser Republicans or reelect new, the same loser Republicans, and we actually, you know, drain the swamp rather than refilling it or adding to it. And yet, there is no focus on stopping Trump from serving as a defeat mechanism and endorsing every single never-Trumper rhino dirtbag. So they're rhinos on the issues, but they're also personally against Trump. 
yet they kiss up to him. He goes and endorses them, and then conservatives go and slobber over the dirtbags. And then when they're not doing that, they're going to focus every day of every week for the next number of weeks with the Democrat primaries on Bernie and Buck Gang and Warren and whatever else is there. They're like, oh my gosh, you look at the Mitt Romney problem. Yeah, hell's bells. No kidding, bozos. And it's your fault that we have this. And it's your fault that we're going to continue having it. And getting worse. So let's just talk about yesterday to demonstrate the enormity of the rhino problem we have. And why we're here. Why we have opportunities to rectify that right now. And why we are doing worse than ever to elect the worst people with the help of Donald Trump. Unfortunately. So what's lost on these people is the scope of the rhino problem. So they only seem to care about good principles when it's about the one razzle-dazzle issue they all care about. If it's Mueller, it's Mueller. If it's impeachment, it's impeachment. So Mitt Romney was a dirtbag for 25 years, screwed us on abortion, screwed us on the homosexual agenda. I mean, as Steve Dace, my colleague, said yesterday, I mean, he was the guy supporting Baked the Damn Cake before the Democrats war early on, promoting global warming, working with Democrats on that, open borders, yelping about Trump on being anti-Muslim and anti-immigrant. Every day, he does that. He trashed Trump for years before the primary. Okay? Every other issue. And they don't seem to care about it. They don't seem to care about it. It's the same principle that why they're elevating Elise Stefanik. Okay? She is a she is to the left. She makes Mitch McConnell look like a John Bircher. Yet she's like God because she's good on impeachment. So Romney is bad on impeachment, so now they're suddenly against him. But no one seemed to have a problem when it mattered. I'm not saying the impeachment thing isn't important, important. I'm just saying that's the only thing they care about. Issue after issue. We have committee chairman after committee chairman. Each Republican that's in charge of a certain issue, they're liberal on that very issue that they're in charge of. It's an unbelievable thing. They don't care. Think about the bifurcation between Republicans and Democrats based on yesterday's impeachment vote. You look at Joe Manchin from West Virginia, Doug Jones from Alabama, and they voted for impeachment. They've both voted against Kavanaugh, okay? Here you have states that Trump won by 26 and 41 points, respectively. 26 in Alabama, 41 in uh, West Virginia. Republicans have carried every single county, every single county in the state of West Virginia for the past number of cycles. And yet, even the Democrats from those states are willing to are willing to be liberal on every single issue. Joe Manchin is open borders. I mean, you can't get a more anti-illegal immigrant state, according to polling data, than West Virginia. No, I mean, you got to give them credit. Even in the deep into, when they elect Democrats deep into enemy territory, they don't cede an inch. If you watch carefully, look at what they actually do, not some of the you know footsies they play with the media, they never dissent in a meaningful way on a single issue. And in fact, Joe Manchin 
So think about this. You know, you might say, okay, West Virginia is complicated, it's populist, it's it's not so fiscally conservative, maybe, but certainly they're very much solid on guns, right? I mean, that you can't deny. Joe Manchin ran an ad showing him shoot a, a shoot a rifle through the cap and trade bill. What was the first thing he did when he got into Congress? Work on gun control. <laughs> you got to give them credit. Yet, not only is it, do we have Republicans in blue states and purple states being left-wing dirtbags? We have Republicans in the reddest of red states, the majority of Republicans in the reddest of red states, screwing us on issue after issue after issue after issue. But yet, there's no movement to rectify that. Every single Republican governor clamoring, with the exception of, of, of one who opposed it, a few others who were silent, clamoring for refugee resettlement. You would think, like, dude, we got a major problem. We have someone called Donald Trump. He could single-handedly win elections for conservatives. I understand. You got to play smart. You're not going to play in every race. I get it. But he's endorsing no conservative and instead endorsing every damn rhino. I mean, is it too much to ask that Trump stop being never Trumper? So as I mentioned, there was a man named Mike Kennedy. He ran for Senate. It was an open seat when Orrin Hatch retired, 2018. I warned against Mitt Romney. I said he was going to screw Trump. He's not just going to be a liberal vote. He's going to be a liberal voice. He's going to be the new John McCain. And Trump endorsed him. Remember, Mike Kennedy actually won the Utah convention. The smart delegates who actually understand politics knew the problems. But the Republican establishment is as corrupt as hell in Utah. Utah, Tennessee are some of the worst states. I'm going to talk about Tennessee soon, too. And there's an endless flow of Mitt Romney's there. And he endorsed Mitt Romney. Now, here's the interesting thing. Every time Trump endorses a dirtbag over someone who is pro-MAGA, pro-Trump, and again, you, you know as well as I do, the idea is to be principled and do what's right for the country. But all that matters is that you're pro-Trump. So I'm saying that as well. I'm saying these guys are pro-Trump too. Some of them bled for Trump, and I'm going to get to a case like that in a minute. But each case, all the sycophants have an excuse. Everything's 10-dimensional chess. No, you're wrong. Really, it's, it helps us and this and that. The problem is if you put it together in totality, each excuse contradicts itself throughout the election map. And what you get is one very clear common denominator. There's no 10-D chess going on here. What's, very simp- it's, what's going on is very simple. The rhinos, unlike phony, self-proclaimed conservative leaders, are very focused. Like Democrats. They're like Democrats. They know what they want and they're going to get it. They have a map of every single House, governors, and Senate race. They know them. They understand them. They're focused on them. And every time they need help, McCarthy and McConnell, either through Jared Kushner or any number of dirtbags in the White House, who themselves were often never Trumpers, by the way, have a seamless avenue to go to Trump and get him to endorse. Conservatives don't push any of their contacts. So therefore, there's no, Trump is not seeing the other side of this. 
It's not a matter of, oh, Daniel, he wants party unity. You can't expect him to endorse against an incumbent. No, because he, 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 he does it even in open seats. Oh, I don't want Democrats to win. Yeah, but first of all, you're presupposing that the rhino is more electable, which often isn't true. But second of all, they're, they're most of the time they're in places where Democrats don't have a chance to win. And then there are cases where Trump endorses against incumbents. But guess what? They're coincidentally only the cases where, in addition to Trump not liking that guy, the establishment didn't like that guy. So, so don't give me this, this altruistic, oh, he's a great strategist, or he's concerned about Democrats winning, or this, or he, like, he doesn't want people who are never Trumpers. No, because he endorses only never Trumpers. It's whatever the establishment wants. It, it's really nothing novel. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's, it's very simple. So let's go through this. Let's go through this. We have the case of Kay Granger. The woman who is going to be in charge of writing all the budget bills, which really is all the legislation that matters because they don't really legislate anymore. If Republicans take over the House. She is not liked in her district. She has a major corruption scandal with her son. She's not even pro-life. She's very weak. Saying she's not even like a feisty, like a Lindsey Graham or something, you know, that on the issues, with a few issues he's good on, he's kind of feisty. Total nothing, total zero. You're not going to win over voters with someone like her. Aside from the fact that she's not conservative. So we had on the show Chris Putnam. And you know, I've worked insurgency campaigns for a long time. I've covered them. I've endorsed in them. I've helped them. They're almost impossible to do. It's impossible to get money, organization, talent. Um, you're, it's, it's an uphill battle. I have, I have never seen a more viable challenge in a very long time. He has a lot of money, and between the club for growth, they're actually going to outspend Kay Granger, from what I'm hearing. He's gotten support from all the sheriffs, a lot of local Republican officials in the area. That is almost unheard of. That was always a big problem we've had is that even when they're sympathetic, no one wants to be caught dead, which demonstrates to you, aside from just altruistic ideological considerations, they also see she's just in general very vulnerable. In 2016, she called on Trump to pull out of the the race. He needs to pull out. She's never Trumper. She endorsed Mitt Romney for president. Okay? She criticized Trump about separation of kids at the border. Here you have a guy who's going to back Trump. Trump goes in and endorses Kay Granger and says she's tough on crime and tough on borders. I'm not kidding you. Okay? Now, I hear all these people, oh, Daniel, so someone messages me and says, No, you don't understand. I live here. Tarrant County is complicated. We're worried about the Beto effect because Beto did win the district very slightly. And we're going to lose all these like down the ballot things. Trump knows what he's doing. We we can't let the Democrats take over. So uh, again, always excuse. It's never a good time. No matter how liberal, no matter the district is always excuses. They always have brilliant excuses. Mind you, if Trump would have endorsed Chris Putnam, 
they would have said, what a brave warrior, what an amazing guy. They wouldn't have had those concerns. They would have said, he's the conservative. And not only that, um, Granger was weak and would have risked, you know, just dampening GOP turnout and weakening the area to begin with. No, you know, but but it's always a retrospect. It's always being Trump's rear end. Rather than leading Trump, they follow him to hell. Rather than leading him to heaven, they follow him to hell. So that's an excuse I'm hearing. Um, I'd love to see the polling data that shows that Kay Granger as the nominee would do better for the district than Putnam. And again, I get it. I get the concerns with Texas. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, Trump did carry that district by like 30 points in a presidential year. The Beto thing was an anomaly. Beto collapsed. He's now He can never show his face in Texas because of all the scandals. He was humiliated. I'm not saying there's nothing to worry about anywhere, but fundamentally, unlike the Houston area and some other areas, that is not the district to worry about, that you're going to lose it. He won it by 30 points. You could say things are slipping, but it's not going to shift 30 points in one election. And look, to the extent that there's problems with suburban voters in Texas, I mean, I'm sorry, but kind of the impetus for that is Trump. I mean... That is kind of the thing. So it's a little bit circular. Like Trump needs to bail out a rhino so we win because we're having problems there. Well, no, how about you have a fresh conservative face that's not Trump that could inspire people, but whatever. But the point is, it doesn't matter where it is. It's in the most solid states. It happens. Let's move on to Tennessee. Okay. So you Tennessee is another one of those states like Utah. Rhinos from the pits of hell, fiscally liberal, socially liberal, big government, open borders, pro-criminal, um, globalists. And there's also something about the Tennessee Republicans. Those of you who live there will know what I'm talking about. They're all in bed with care in the Muslim Brotherhood. I don't know what it is about Tennessee Republicans and Islam, but there's something bizarre there. Corker, Alexander, Bill Haslam, the new governor, um, Bill Lee. Liberal beyond belief. Okay, this is a state, as I mentioned earlier, where you have a sanctuary city where the state legislature has a 28 to 5 GOP majority and the House has like a 75 to 26 majority. You have a Republican governor and they won't do anything about it. But what will they do? Bring in more refugees and uh, demand New York style jailbreak. So here you have Lamar Alexander retiring once in a generation opportunity to at least get into Marsha Blackburn. Okay, that's all I ask. She signed her name on a bill bringing in more refugees. By the way, I wrote about that, that whole Iraqi Syrian refugee thing. Um, She has a lot of problems, but look, she's better than Lamar. Okay, that's all I ask. I, I know it's evil for someone like me in a state that Trump carried 92 of 95 counties by a 26 point margin or something. Maybe more than that. I know it's evil of me to expect, you know, a conservative. I, I, God forbid. I mean, I'm, I'm just a terrible human being. There's no place in this party for someone like me. I'm just a purist, an idiot. I get it. But like, all I'm asking is, is someone on the level of Marsha Blackburn. Okay, another Marsha Blackburn. So you have a number of people running. I'm not so familiar with the candidates. I'm sure a lot of you are. But then, six months ago, this was July 2017, a year, a year before the primary. Trump cuts the legs out from under the Trump base. 
and supports a piece of crap named Bill Haggerty. Bill Haggerty, according to AP, is, quote, a longtime friend and advisor to da-da-da-da, Mitt freaking Romney. Okay? He was also a delegate for Jeb Bush. He's a very wealthy hedge fund guy. You get what I'm saying here. Globalism, crime, borders, Islam. You know exactly where a guy like this stands. Certainly I hear this from the you know, people in the know in Tennessee. Trump endorses him. He might have even said tough on border and crime in his tweet. Folks, I mean, this is indefensible. It's an open seat. And he pulled, I mean, like, oh, no, no. This guy's the most electable. I mean, come on, come on. This is Tennessee in a presidential year with Trump on the ballot. He carried 92 or 95 counties, 26-point margin. Come on. And of course, that presupposes that the biggest rhino dirtbag is the most electable. Everyone else, the race is basically over. I mean, what, what, what am I supposed to do with that? What am I supposed to do? It's all over the map. All over the map. And, and, and it's also like this garbage of like, oh no, the Democrats. So then, then a lot of them, they point to um, Alabama. You see, well, Doug Jones wound up winning. But that was because of Trump. People forget what happened there. They forget the history. There were three people running. Okay? There was Luther Strange, the rhino establishment guy, backed by McConnell, who was just a deadbeat. There was Mo Brooks, conservative member of that house, and then there was um, Roy Moore. Now, what wound up happening was basically... I mean, what happened to all those sexual allegations against Roy Moore? Where are the criminal charges? Makes you wonder if, like all these other things, it was false. Now, to be fair, he didn't very articulately defend himself, but it doesn't make him guilty. And Republicans all piled on. They didn't do the Kavanaugh defense. So there's a lot of malfeasance going on there. That was a very unique circumstance. And, and what I think history will show was unjust. But I noted at the time, here's what you probably don't realize. I noted at the time that one of the reasons why I endorsed Roy Moore, this is early on, A, obviously because of his stance against judicial supremacism. I mean, that was the very big issue. You couldn't fault me for overlooking that. But I said, look, Mo Brooks, I like Mo. Mo knows me. I know him. He's a good guy. But the problem is Mo can't win because Mo had had low name ID. And I said, look, I feel bad for him, but they're going to get Trump to come in and endorse Luther Strange and then run ads against Mo Brooks, calling him a never Trumper because, you know, Mo, Mo had comments attacking Trump from the right as a crew supporter. Not like all these dirtbags that Trump is supporting that attacked him from the left. And I said, look, with no name ID, they're going to define him and they're going to destroy him. Whereas Roy Moore, like they can't, he, he's for better or for worse, he was 100% name recognition. Everyone knew who he, who he was. And I was right. 
They destroyed Mo Brooks. Trump came in and endorsed Luther Strange. They ran ads accusing Mo Brooks of being a Nancy Pelosi liberal. It destroyed him. And then they tried to do it on, on Roy Moore, but it didn't work. And Roy Moore won the nomination. Then they dug up the sexual allegations and the, and, and the rest is history. But Mo Brooks could have been a good candidate and they could have kept the seat. But Trump, see, here's the thing. Trump will go against a guy who attacks him from the right, but not a guy who attacks him from the left. Like, I could live with Trump if he has a policy. Look, I'm only supporting those who supported me from day one. I could live with that. It will rule out a lot of Cruz people, but it will sure as hell rule out all the rhinos. Instead, he endorses every rhino dirtbag and every Trumper, and then the conservatives that might not have supported him, but later became his most ardent supporters. I mean, think about Mark Levin, how close Trump is with him now. He was the most articulate defender of his for the last three years with this whole scandal. He said some very sharp things against Trump, you know, back in the primary. But again, it was from the right. So that was his blunder. That proves my point. Don't throw me, Alabama. And then Martha Roby, when we had an opportunity to defeat her, a rhino, she cried over Trump, said he has to resign, came in and endorsed her against a viable challenger when she was unpopular in her district. Now she's retiring. It's an open seat. I might have to take a look at that. There's there's a difference there in that race. It's a very early primary. Endorse Martha Roby. What a joke. What a joke. You go to Kansas. Who is more MAGA than Chris Kobach? Yet I don't see an endorsement there. Wouldn't surprise me if he endorses Steve Marshall, the rhino dirtbag that defeated Tim Hulskamp in Kansas. Oh, no, 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 Daniel, you don't understand. You don't understand. We can't afford a look. You know, Kobach ran for governor and he lost. Okay, that's a fair argument. But there's a couple problems with that. Number one, you see, it's self-fulfilling. Because he didn't get the backing and the rhinos sandbagged him, they, they just, I mean, it's impossible to win. We unite behind the rhinos and they don't unite behind us. So what are we supposed to do? Never try to better the party because to reward their malfeasance? Number two, that was an off year, a very bad year, very, very bad year for Republicans with a lot of complicated things coming off um, a gubernatorial race of um, uh, Governor Brownback, who was very unpopular in the state. Connected to that is also, remember, the same way Repub- even red states, Republicans sometimes lose governorships, Democrats sometimes lose governorships even in blue states. Maryland, Massachusetts are, are, good, are good examples. Governorships are a little bit different. Now Kobach's running for Senate, and he's running for Senate on a federal presidential year with Trump at the top of the ticket in Kansas. It's almost impossible to lose. The notion that you wouldn't try to get the better guy is stupid. But then there's another problem. Okay, Trump is, you know, look, he wants guys who are electable. He doesn't want Democrats to win. Okay, that, 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 that's fair. There's a state called Arizona. You see, there's someone called Martha McSally, who, again, was a never-Trumper back in the day and a rhino and a dirtbag, yada, yada. You see, she is very interesting. Very interesting. She lost a red state, unlike Kobach, where that was a gubernatorial race, which is less partisan. It falls less along 
the partisan ideological divide in presidential elections, this was a Senate race. And she lost. Republicans, again, they're they're very practical. They don't care about ideology, but they want to make sure Democrats don't win. Really. Democrats go and recruit a very strong candidate, Mark Kelly. He's is he viewed as a hero, military, astronaut, moderate. Whether it's fair or not, he's viewed as such. Um, he, he, he's a strong recruit. You can't deny that. What do Republicans do? John McCain dies. There's another vacancy. They pick the loser, Martha McSally, to fill the seat and then to run for the full term this November. Trump goes in, and rather than saying, look, dude, she lost, she's weak, she's going to lose the seat, let's get someone better, he goes and endorses her. And again, while I don't have a specific alternative there, what I'm almost certain is true, and those of you from Arizona probably know this, and this is true of countless races we'll never know about, so many MAGA people that never came along, better recruits, because they knew it was a lost cause, because they knew Trump would endorse the fool. That's a big part of the problem now. That's a big part of the problem now. So don't give me this crap about electability, all right? Take it and shove it. It's not 3D chess. As you could see, you take this in totality, the establishment wins all the time, every time. Blue state, purple state, red state. Whether there's a threat of the Democrat winning or not. Whether the candidate's more viable or less viable. Whether the candidate was pro-Trump or anti-Trump. It doesn't matter. The common denominator is the establishment guy always gets Trump's endorsement. Okay? I rest my case. I rest my case. And there's more. There's more examples of this. But we're, we're uh, running out of time here. I've got to take a drink here. I'm just so hyped up. But that's the story here. There's one more important point about conservatives becoming a defeat mechanism. Not only does conservative media not focus on the primaries that they could influence, on the legislation they could influence, on the executive decisions when Trump is teetering on whether to designate the cartels as terrorists, whether to shut off more immigration, whether to have another executive order um, you know, implementing a good policy uh, that, that's lawful. And there's swamp guys in the admin dissuading him from it. McCarthy, McConnell, getting to him, Jared. But then there's some good guys like Cuccinelli or whoever pushing for good things. Not only are we out to lunch, or I should say they, they actually serve as a defeat mechanism to elevate the soap opera issues at the expense of this and actually harm our people. Here's how pathetic, low-IQ loser these people are. You won't believe this. So one of the games that they've always played before they had the Trump panic button to press and get his endorsement is, so they sit and they sabotage us in every issue that matters for the duration of their term. The minute they perceive a vulnerability in a primary, they think they might be vulnerable, there's already a challenge, something like that. They have their Mitt Romney severely conservative moment. Do you know when someone's severely conservative? Remember when Romney said that at CPAC and everyone was laughing? You know, it's like a kid dressing up in his father's clothes. Like, you know, it, you just look pathetic when you when you when you, when you're trying to pander to something. It's kind of like 
Remember when, when Hillary Clinton would go down south to black churches and put on the, you know, a, a African-American accent or something like that, and she would just look like a fool? So they try to pander to conservatives. I'm, I'm severely conservative. So they go around and act very feisty about weird issues randomly. So it's something that's done all the time. It's a defeat mechanism. Let me give you examples before I get to my punchline. Lindsey Graham is the perfect thing. Screwed us. We finally drove the numbers down. Finally drove the numbers down. Where he could have been defeated after being reelected two times screwing us. We finally could have had a viable challenger against him. You had the Kavanaugh hearings and he was God. There's nothing he did that was that effective. And Kavanaugh himself, whatever. But he's God now. Then he got Trump's endorsement. The rest is history. Lindsey has that seat for life. And we're going to rue the day. Tom Tillis. Trump elevated him at the State of the Union with that, remember that thing? Oh, he has a piece of anti-sanctuary city legislation. Let me tell you something. Tom Tillis is an open borders, K Street, among the worst of the worst. Anyone from North Carolina knows his history as Speaker of the House there. Globalist, open borders, anti-MAGA, you could imagine. Same thing, hated Trump. He was against the border wall until he was for it. A guy with money announced he was challenging him. He got worried, got Trump to endorse him, and then he introduced this piece of legislation. Well, you might wonder, why did this piece of legislation over the course of over a year never get a vote? Well, because it was all a talking point. It was all to elicit headlines from conservatives. Look how great Tom Tillis is. Conservative media elevates him. Trump elevates him. And then we don't get the piece of legislation, of course. Like, there's one thing if they pander to us, and at least we get something for it. But no, it's just a press release. It doesn't go beyond the campaign ad. So that's that. And by the way, there's a major problem with the bill. There's a defeat mechanism in the bill. Like I told you, the messaging is good and along the lines of what we want, but the way it's written, it actually weakens current law and green lights sanctuaries to defy ICE detainers in many circumstances where under current law, um, while we're not punishing them for it, which we should, and this bill would seek to do that, but under current law, it's illegal for them to do it in any case. So that's a whole problem with it. It hasn't been fixed. I, I verified that from my friend in the Senate who worked on this issue. It has not been fixed. Then I come to Kay Granger. Let's come back to Kay Granger. Look, say what you want about Kay, but everyone knows she is not a feisty, fiery person, okay? I mean, Lindsey Graham, at least, yeah, he's kind of known when he gets hyped up about something, the few issues he's with us. You know, he could be pretty, pretty aggressive. All of a sudden, Kay Granger starts like shopping around this resolution to um, to censure Pelosi for ripping up Trump's speech. And a member of Congress um, sent me a text yesterday. He was like, dude, like, what's this all about? It's, it was just random because she doesn't do that. I said, I'll tell you what it is. And I sent in my article um, showing how there's polling, basically showing a challenger ahead of her. That's why. So now she's tweeting out Trump's endorsement yesterday or two days ago. There's a tweet from her wrapping herself around Trump. Again, this is someone who called on Trump to drop out of the race in 2016. Never Trumper. And I see all these conservative figures. Oh, look at this great resolution that 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 Kay Granger is. I mean, they're falling for it. They're helping her. Like there's one thing if they mean it. 
but it's all designed as a defeat mechanism to block a conservative challenger. They're so stupid. I mean, this is the thing. Look, I never did anything with my life. I'm a political guy. Okay, a lot of you are businessmen, doctors. Um, you've done things. But you know if you're a doctor, you don't operate on someone and give an opinion if you don't know what the hell you're talking about. So I said to myself, look, I'm a political guy, but at least I'm going to study politics. The who's who, the what's what, the legislation, the nature of the members. Politics is an art, and you have to understand it. You can't just, like, spew. You have to know what's behind it. But no, defeat mechanism. They play phony, loser, conservative media like a fiddle. It's pathetic to watch it. They now know how to pick the lock. Elise Stefanik, okay? She has, like, what, a 15 conservative score, 15%, an F minus, 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 minus. She's liberal on every single issue. And worse than that, she is recruiting against conservative incumbents to try to knock them out, like Freedom Caucus guys. Now she is a hero on conservative media because of her YouTube clips on impeachment, which is over now. Now that impeachment is over, we should be focusing on what matters. Instead, we're still, we're always looking in the past. Nancy Pelosi ripped up the speech. Come on, grow up. Be men up. She was allowed to do that. It was petulant and stupid, and the voters will see it, and it will speak for itself. But it's like, I'd rather hit the Democrats on what I'm writing about today than no one's talking about. Billy Chemmer, the illegal alien who was allowed to illegally get a green card from a DHS loophole and then commit crimes and not get deported. And then after he should have been deported, is now accused of smothering 22 women in their 80s and 90s to death in the Dallas area. Talk about Texas area. Not a single Republican politician in Texas anywhere is demanding hearings on closing these loopholes. This issue, 22 deaths from Billy Chemmer, The El Paso shooter? The horrific shooting last year? The death toll was 22. Same thing. That was a first-time American. Not much we can do to avoid that. Here, this was so avoidable. 50 times over. And you know what? You don't need a gun to do it. He did it with nothing but a pillow. Demonstrates our point. It's not guns that matter. It's criminals that matter. And in the case of foreign national criminals, you can get them out of the country. I have tons of criminal stuff. The first victim of New York's bail law, I mean, there's been tons of murders from them let out, but the second provision where they now disclose the addresses of the victims and witnesses, an MS-13 guy just butchered a witness to death in Long Island. So many things Republicans could be doing, conservative media could be highlighting, that, that, that make Pelosi look like a much bigger idiot than ripping up the paper. But you gotta focus on the soap opera. Always looking in the past. The whole first term was all about Hillary Clinton. She's gone. The second term will be about Biden. How about in the here and now? On the issues and primaries before us, right here, right now. I want to know. Email me, dharowitz at Blaze Media. Let me know. What is your theory? Why is it that conservative media focuses on the primaries that they cannot influence in the Democrat Party, nor should it matter to influence, nor should they care about, and never on the things, the primaries or policies that they can influence, and especially 
directing Trump on the right things. And by the way, I'm not done. Let me go on. There's a couple more cases here. Just losing my voice here. Thomas Massey. Thomas Massey. Oh, Daniel, look, we don't want to endorse against incumbents. It's just important that the Democrats lose. We don't want to create divides. Okay, all right. Thomas Massey's an incumbent. Been there for, I don't know, six years or so. Um, maybe eight, no, more like eight or 10 years. Um, he is in Northern Kentucky, solid conservative district. There is a well-moneyed challenger against him. Now, look, some of you might tell me Thomas Massey is a little quirky. He has an element of Justin Amash in him in the sense that he has a certain amount of libertarianism that he takes very quintiotic type of votes. But he was against impeachment. Um, he is as good as they get on guns. He's as good as they get on most issues. There are some issues where I disagree with him on. But my God, if there is room for every piece of SHIT in this big Republican tent, don't tell me there's no room for someone like that. Okay? So, basically, people like Elise Stefanik were recruiting against him. And what I've heard was that Trump was this close to endorsing the dirtbag against an incumbent. Some of the conservative members of Congress that have ties to Trump had to talk him off of it. But guess what? Massey's challenger is a never-Trumper through and through. Whole, whole paper trail of that. Whole paper trail of that. Let me tell you an article I'm about to write, and we'll, we'll close with this today. So we're always looking backwards. Once Trump endorses a dirtbag, everyone defends it. I'm going to call a shot. I'm going to lay down a red line, a marker beforehand. We're all talking about Utah. Mitt Romney, betrayal, liberal Republicans, anti-Trump people. As you all know, Utah has never had a conservative governor. I mean, these are the worst of the worst. John Huntsman, Herbert. He was the first governor that demanded more refugees. I mean, these guys make Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy look like John Birchers. I mean, these are real leftists. Herbert is retiring. And Huntsman, among others, a couple of, of other dirtbags, are running for governor. Wouldn't it be an amazing opportunity to finally get a conservative governor in Utah? Let me tell you something. Something very interesting going on there. I know a guy who is a very good guy who was in the state legislature who was Cruz's um, state director in Utah. Now, there's another guy named Greg Hughes who is the Speaker of the House. He single-handedly stopped the Medicaid expansion when the dirtbag governor and Senate wanted it. Very conservative. So naturally, the Cruz director went over to him and, and tried to recruit him to support Cruz for, for Utah. And you know what the guy said? You know what? I'm seeing a lot of, you know, Trump resonating with a lot of people. You know, I like Cruz, but I, I think I'm going to go with Trump. And this guy publicly endorsed Trump. Now, I want you guys to understand that. He was the Speaker of the House, the highest ranking Republican endorsing Trump in Utah. Utah was the one Republican state because of the Mormon population, the, the complicated dynamics there, the, the 
battle with Trump there and some of the things he said, Trump's numbers were very, very low among Republicans there. Everyone remembers that. Trump remembers that. His numbers have since recovered a lot, still not where they are in other Republican states, but um, he was very unpopular back then. Greg Hughes put his neck on the line for Trump. Greg Hughes is now running for governor against guys who are not only rhino dirtbags, but are anti-Trump. Big never Trumpers. Will Trump go and be a man and back the people that backed him when it matters? And here's the deal. There's no runoff in Utah. And you have a number of, can- a lot of candidates, busy field with a lot of very widely known, so it's like the liberal lieutenant governor, Huntsman, who was a former governor, that have a tremendous amount of backing and money. So they're going to divide the vote among the establishment. There's no runoff. So theoretically, if you get even 15, 20% of the vote, and that's a plurality, that's the highest vote getter, you won. You won the nomination. Trump could single-handedly win the nomination for Greg Hughes by endorsing him. Even if you think he wouldn't have like 60, 70% of Republicans, certainly, certainly Trump has enough of a base to to swing him a a plurality in such a race. I'm going to call that shot. And I'm going to see the excuses there. Folks, as you well see, this is what it means to be an independent conservative. This is what it means to be forward-looking and actually focus on what matters. I need your help. I need need you to send this and every other show to 50 of your friends, relatives, neighbors. Send it around on on Facebook and Twitter. Like our show at iTunes and leave us a five-star review. You can email me if you have any other observations on this, dharowitz at blazemedia.com. Tomorrow, speaking of which, we're going to have another very good candidate on the show. We're going to keep up the focus if no one else will, but I need your help. Send me, you know, again, it's it's never too much to email me. Worst comes to worst, I won't see it, but I always try to try to respond to as many people as I can. Try to read the emails. Let's do this together. God bless. See you tomorrow. 